Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, where we will be discussing leadership in Harry Potter. Yeah. Seeing as how it's in the Harry Potter episode, let's just go straight into the analysis. Yeah, we figured we always talk so long when it's a Harry Potter episode that we'll try skipping questions to ourselves and see if that makes it be a more manageable listen. Get right to that good, good content. (laughs) Don't talk about us. (laughs) Not good content. I mean, Harry Potter and us talking about Harry Potter. Anyways. So let's just get into the quote. This quote, like many of the great quotes from Harry Potter, comes from... King's Cross in The End of Deathly Hallows, when Dumbledore is giving sage advice to Harry. When does Dumbledore ever not give sage advice to Harry? (laughs) It is a curious thing, Harry, but perhaps those who are best suited to power are those who never sought it. Those who, like you, have leadership thrust upon them and take up the mantle because they must and find to their own surprise that they wear it well. Oh, Harry. So many things thrust upon him. No. <laughs> I'm just saying that that Harry does not choose many things that come into his life. No. And the positions that he's put upon. <laughs> yes, this is true. Poor Harry. How many things does he actually get to choose in his life? Exactly. Very, very few. Yeah. Well, that brings me right into my character because I wanted to talk about Harry. Because, yeah, Harry never wanted to be... A leader really right i think that by the end of the series he kind of is used to the spotlight just because it has been put on him so much but like i think when you look at for example the prefect badge going to ron you see how he kind of is surprised like he expected it to go to himself just because he's harry potter mm-hmm. which i think is what everyone kind of expects yeah. but it's not exactly, he was a so little not, hurt about that though. he was hurt but i think that was more to do with just the way that dumbledore was not engaging with him at all, where it felt like another slight is kind of how I always read it. I read it as that was, you know, the Slytherin rearing its head a bit. Yeah, I don't know. I never saw it that way because I never saw him as seeming to want the position. And I think he even talks about how, like, it's not something that really matters to him. And that's a shock at the time when he already is feeling all these really hard emotions and feeling left out and feeling unappreciated. And I think that this is just kind of part and parcel of that. It's not something that I think that he, he personally would have wanted that much, right? It's not like Hermione who wanted it. For sure. But he also always likes to know what's going on. For sure. But I don't know. I don't think that he he aspires to that kind of leadership. He never even aspired to take on the DA. He had to be kind of convinced into doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's different to, like, have... An adult choose you to be a prefect and you to be, like, a kid teaching a class to other kids. I would feel very nervous being a kid trying to teach a class to other kids, but I would want an adult to pick me for a leadership position. I'd be cool with both. (laughs) I also think that it's interesting to see where Harry isn't a good leader. Mm -hmm. Like, when they are out doing the camping trip, basically, Harry's not a particularly good leader. Hermione's a much better leader than Harry is at that point, right? She's the one who not only is getting things done, but who's kind of keeping them moving and coming up with ideas. And in part, obviously, there's Horcruxes and other things at play. But I think that 
the fact that Ron and Hermione do talk about how they thought there would be more direction or that something more would happen comes to Harry's... He doesn't have the skills or the knowledge of kind of keeping them motivated and on task or maybe even the passion or drive to do that, right? That's not kind of what he's there for. I mean, I think it is. He has the passion to try to destroy all the horcruxes. He just is lost. Like, he doesn't know the magical world. Well, he doesn't have, he only has the very select memories and background that he was given, and he just doesn't know what to do anymore. And for me, I mean, I don't know. I never really saw anyone as a leader in that circumstance because there's only, like, three of them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like if it's you and your two best friends, like, I don't know, it kind of feels a little weird to be like, there's a leader. But, like, when it comes to the DA, right, there's, like, a whole group of people and he is leading that. And he is, like, coming up with, you know, how to teach this lesson and what the next lesson's going to be and how to encourage people and how to get them to be able to perform magic that they've never done before. But I do think that probably Harry is not a great leader when it comes to Quidditch Mm. once he is the Quidditch captain because like in some ways maybe yes and they do win some games or whatnot but also if you're a good team captain you don't get yourself detention Mm -hmm. (laughs) right before these important games like I would always prioritize the truth and being like, no, this person is an oppressive teacher and I'm not going to stand for that over leading a team for a game because people have died. People are (laughs) continuing to die. People are lying. Games are not the most important things. But if we're just looking at him as the Quidditch captain, like, and that is a leadership position, then... He didn't do a great job there. Absolutely. I mean, look at him in comparison to Oliver Wood, who does only care about Quidditch, right? I mean, yes, but he also is not necessarily the best. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's you bring up a perfect example of, you know, where you see someone who has other priorities and that mm-hmm. sometimes when you are put in charge of something, you shouldn't have other priorities, right? Or that, that those other priorities get in the way of your ability to lead there. And that definitely happens with Harry. Which, again, is fine. And then we didn't have to sit through those Quidditch matches because (laughs) Harry wasn't there. I was fine with, too. We got to sit through detention and him thinking about Quidditch the whole time, but at least there was no more play-by-play. Yeah. I mean, I guess if if Luna was going to be doing commentary, then I would have wanted to be there. Yes, that is accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's better than Umbridge torturing a child, I I suppose. Oh, dear. What plot did you want to talk about? So I wanted to talk about the terrible leadership within the Ministry of Magic. Yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty important one. Yeah, that keeps happening over and over <laughs> again throughout the books and allows a lot of terrible things to happen mm-hmm. because these people in power are terrible. So we don't really get to see that much in the first book, but... Right when we get into book two, any good leader in a position of power should have fired Arthur Weasley. Mm. Like, he is in the department 
for the misuse of Muggle artifacts, and he was caught misusing Muggle artifacts. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't keep somebody in that position and who, like, wrote laws with certain loopholes so that it benefited them specifically. Like, that is so corrupt that, like... He should have been fired. Yeah, seriously, there should be an internal investigation. And there was, but thing. like, why was he still there? Right? right, exactly. Like, you when you go to his shed and are like, oh, look at all these muggle things that you have. I'm sorry. Like, thank you for your previous service. You are now let go. Or asked to resign. I mean, sure. Uh, political I, positions. I guess I would just fire them, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, not great. And then. Prisoner of Azkaban, there's some weirdish things going on, right? Like, maybe some good things where they're like, we have no idea how Sirius Black escaped, which that was honest and true. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, well, since we think he might be going after Harry, then we're going to put, I don't know. I don't know what you'd do with that in that circumstance. Putting Dementors at a school with kids doesn't seem like a great idea, <laughs> but... What, just because their brains are forming and because <laughs> Dementors are despair personified? Sure, but I guess, like, they couldn't really feel them until they, like, came within the grounds, which they weren't supposed to do. Just putting them around, if it was an actual safe way to go, maybe that's an okay decision, I don't really know, but yeah, it, it, there was complicated stuff there. I'm like, oh, we're just going to take Hagrid because something needs to happen. If there is somebody who is the real suspect, then you could take them into custody. But, like, is custody just going to Azkaban? Is there nowhere in between that you would go? (laughs) Like, yeah. Then, fourth book happens, and you have Ludo Bagman, who's the head of the Department for Magical Games and Sports. And he's just like, oh, yeah, one of my colleagues, Bertha Jorkins, just disappeared. Oh, well... That's not anything to be worried about. (laughs) Would you like to underage gamble? Yeah. (laughs) No, children, I'm not going to pay you. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of problems. And then, obviously, we get to the pinnacle, which is book five. So you have the Minister for Magic influencing the Daily Prophet to start smear campaigns because he doesn't want to consider that Voldemort could possibly be back, mm-hmm. which is just so corrupt. Mm-hmm. Like when a political position has their thumb on the news is not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then the ministry also gives ridiculous powers to Umbridge, which is just like, why? You've never had to have any of these ridiculous positions before in this school. Not that the school has been <laughs> not that everybody hasn't almost died at some point at the school but still and i mean he, he, obviously i assume that people didn't know that umbridge was doing all the things that she was doing you know like with her torture quill and such but regardless mm-hmm. and then also in that book you have a kid being tried as an adult and moving their trial without notice And all of that, like, for this kid using a protective spell. Mm -hmm. And there's no inquiry into what actually was happening. They didn't even try to find any witnesses. They didn't ask his cousin. You know, they didn't do any of this. So, And ultimately, it was their own fault. It was a corrupt official in the ministry that sent the Dementor. Oh, totally. (laughs) And it's just, like, such an egregious misuse of power. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, to just tamper with trials and stuff like that is, mm, no, no. And then, you know, once you get to the next book, I mean, at least Fudge resigned in disgrace. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At least there's that here in the U.S., he wouldn't. It is a British book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's some things that are social safeguards that the United States just doesn't have. Mm. Uh, but then, even after that, Scrimger, like, he doesn't do what somebody in a position of power when the most evil wizard in the past century, whatnot, you know, what somebody should do in that situation, which is go to the people who actually are in in the know mm-hmm. and figure out what are the best strategies rather than just, well, I'm the leader and I'm going to try to maintain peace and I'm going to make speeches that may sound great, but no one is safe and it's just not helpful. So, yes, the ministry fails. Yes. In all the ways. I appreciate that that's in the book, though, because it's so frustrating and because you can see how everything is made worse because of it. Mm. And, like, that is just a very real thing for most countries. But, like, especially even right now as we're looking at people just lying to the public about the coronavirus. People in positions of power that people will listen to. And supposed news sources reporting on that and it's just yeah it is very real because you you're seeing things like this happen all over the world not just in the u.s but in the philippines and brazil and even the uk to some degree right and india right so i think yeah i appreciate that that's in the books because it makes the magical world a much more real place i think Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think that for harry to have to fight against the ministry is a really important aspect of his maturation Mm -hmm. he realizes as we realize that the world is much more complicated and darker and more imperfect than it first seems Mm -hmm. because first book don't really care about the the ministry. Second book, you know, Fudge is kind of seen in the background, kind of seems bumbling, but that's about it. But we really start to learn more and more about how corrupt and awful he is. And I think that that turning point at the parting of the ways is such a crucial point in the narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Of this is the breaking point between what is right and what will keep you in power and what is easy. And Mm -hmm. that I think is, is very, very important and powerful. Yeah. And you have even someone like Severus Snape showing them his arm, like, look it, I was called today, Mm -hmm. you know, like just putting himself in a position he's incredibly uncomfortable in, in front of his students. Right. And yeah, it just makes no difference. Yeah. I always got the impression, even at the end of that book, that the Death Eater who gave the kiss to Buddy Crouch Jr. did it without Fudge's order. And then Fudge was trying to, like, defend it afterwards because he didn't want to make it seem like the Death Eater was out of his control. Yeah. The fact that that all happens off screen is I just just a little too neat. And I think that there could probably be some some more, more example of incompetence and corruption there, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the very least... Incompetence. The very least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's uh, interesting too. What you were saying about like Harry and that he's had Dumbledore for so long, believe him, take his side, defend him, and 
he can't anymore Mm -hmm. for the most part. And I think just so many people, I think especially young people, can relate to this feeling of just fury that Harry has. Like, this is so important. This should be the most simple thing for people to rally around and say, no, this is not okay. Mm. This needs to stop. Yet people won't and people don't and everything's corrupt and it seems so simple but it's not yeah (laughs) yeah well i guess we should probably move into our compelling questions okay well what's yours my question is there's this kind of conception of leadership that leadership can be divided into two different styles task leadership and relationship leadership Mm -hmm. right and that sometimes one person can have both of them but often they're also kind of divided where one group can actually have two leaders one who's more the task focused one one that's more the relationship focused one and so i was wondering what task and relationship leaders you see in harry potter interesting um well i would say harry is a relationship leader Mm mm-hmm why he's so successful with Dumbledore's army is because he's able to encourage students in a way that makes them believe they can do things that are far above their level of magic, right? Mm. I mean, this is when you start to see Neville be able to do things that he never had been able to do before. I think someone like Hermione is very much a task oriented mm-hmm. leader where it's like you are the treasurer you are the <laughs> secretary <laughs> not that she was a great leader in that regard yes, true. <laughs> <laughs> but even like you are gonna do this for your homework you're gonna study in this way like she's very good at giving tasks mm-hmm. and i think that w- is one of the things that would make her a good minister for magic in the mm. future, right? And especially if she can get to a place to actually trust other people so she could delegate. <laughs> <laughs> that will always be a struggle for Hermione. Yes, absolutely. Um, Dumbledore is interesting. I mean, I think... Hmm. I think he does a bit of both. Mm. I think you clearly see some task leadership where he is saying, Hagrid, you need to go try to get the giants. Remus, you need to go try to get the werewolves, Mm -hmm. right? So very task-oriented. But then you have his relationship with both Harry and Snape. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of why they, especially Snape, does what he does is partially because of that trust and that relationship he's built with him. And Harry, uh, up until... Dumbledore actually gives him some tasks in book six with trying to get the memory Mm. and then his final go destroy all the horcruxes, I think. Before then, it was all kind of relationship building with him. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. Those are the thoughts that come to me initially. What were you thinking? Yeah, definitely similarly. I think that you hit on Hermione for sure. Spot on, (laughs) right? I think that one of the reasons why SPW never really succeeds in the books is because she is only a task leader and she doesn't do any relationship leading and so Mm -hmm. no one else who's actually in it cares to be in it and she certainly doesn't activate the house elves and get them into it. (laughs) She doesn't even activate Dobby. Exactly. Right. So yeah I think that that she absolutely is that And, and I think Dumbledore is a really interesting case too because I certainly see him, as you mentioned, the the trust that he builds with people is so important to 
his relationships with them. Mm-hmm. But then you also see times, for example, when Snape, you know, says that you ask too much, where mm-hmm. it feels like, especially as you start to learn a little bit more about Dumbledore, he at times I think can be cold and oh, for not sure. as that kind of warmth that he can also include. And that's striking because it is so focused on the tasks at hand. And and maybe that just gives more credence to this is important. This is more important than how we feel, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that's really interesting. I also was thinking, though, about McGonagall. Because mm-hmm. I think McGonagall sees and, and kind of portrays herself as a task leader. But she's also a great relationship leader. And, you know, just that have a biscuit potter. I think that <laughs> scene is so good of her kind of being able to... She's just great everything. She is. <laughs> and even, you know, her helping Wood get Harry on the team and, and all these other <laughs> kinds of things. I mean, there I think that that was inappropriate. Oh, absolutely inappropriate. <laughs> but that also... was not a great house leader in that moment. Yeah. That was not a great, I'm a Hogwarts professor and I'm going to abide by the rules <laughs> moment. And I'm going to buy you a broom that's the fastest broom out there. <laughs> okay, McGonagall, you're great in so many ways, but I have to tisk tisk you for that one. I mean, I can absolutely agree with that. <laughs> but I do think that it shows her knowledge of her students and the interest that they have and and things like that. And and I but think people that, are also really scared of her though. So that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very know. different She's from from Dumbledore's relationship leader, right? Where mm-hmm. it's not about building the trust with herself, but I think it is in some ways kind of helping people to feel good you know even look at her with with neville and talking about you know just because your grandmother failed at charms doesn't mean that you can't be great at charms doesn't make it a soft choice she knows exactly what to say to him to make him feel more confident and able to Mm -hmm. do something that he needs and i think that takes a lot of social intelligence that she Mm -hmm. i think she has and she doesn't always show it and i think it's again not always about her personal relationships but at the same time there's a reason why her being spit on is the thing that makes <laughs> Harry do an unforgivable curse. He cares about her in such an important way. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just, McGonagall's great. <laughs> <laughs> is Slughorn a relational leader? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Slug Club, right? Yeah, that's a great I don't know example. if he's very effective at it, <laughs> at least by then. I think he probably would have been super effective at it when he was younger. I mean, mm-hmm. he says, like, all these people still keep in touch. I have, like, tickets to all these games. I have, you know, so... I think he probably was. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. He's a great example. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, what's your compelling question? So my question is, what are different methods of gaining or maintaining positions of leadership that you see in Harry Potter? Hmm. Well, the person who first comes to mind is Percy Weasley. Mm Mm-hmm. And his could probably be best defined as butt kissing. (laughs) Really? I think his is... Oh, you mean within the ministry? Within the ministry. Oh, okay. I was thinking of, like, him as a prefect and because I was like, that was just hard work. No, and I think so much of it is also hard work, Mm -hmm. right? He's a competent person. He's able to write these huge reports on cauldron bottoms. I know. Bottom kissing indeed. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But he also 
cares clearly about these positions so much so that he admires Mr. Crouch, who calls him Bartleby. And <laughs> poor person. <laughs> and refuses to raise any questions when Crouch doesn't come in anymore because mm-hmm. now he has more authority where he is now the go-between. And that matters more. And he also, I don't think, is the person who is going to question when he's getting letters from Crouch that says, I'm not feeling well, I'm working from home, whatever it might be, he'll just be like, all right, I believe you. What can I do? And he believes in the system. Yes, yes. And because Crouch is his superior and he assumes he got to that position because he was right for that position, then anything goes. Yeah, absolutely. Same with Umbridge and Fudge and everyone, basically. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, though, seeing... Scrimger as the replacement for Fudge. They mentioned how mm-hmm. he was, he used to be the head of the Aura office, right? Yeah. And so at a time of uncertainty, a leader who comes in with a perceived strength and uh, experience that is important for the anxieties that the community has, that's the person who's going to be propelled into leadership as well. And he continues to exert that. One of his problems is that he cannot do the right thing by Harry because he's too worried about showing strength in the ministry, right? Mm-hmm. That That is his focus because that's his experience and that's what, how he got into power and that's what the expectations are put on him to continue. And then I think it's interesting seeing Dumbledore as a character who has said that he doesn't want certain leadership positions, right? Yeah, the minister. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that that is in part because he knows that it's not what he is passionate about. Or what he could be most effective at doing. He, I think he knows that he has a stronger base where he can be more capable as the head of Hogwarts than he could at the, as the head of the ministry. Now, the interesting question for Dumbledore would be, after Harry graduated Hogwarts, would he have moved to the ministry? I think that there, there's a reason why he wanted always to be at Hogwarts than, rather than do the... A different route. Yeah, but once you see the fudge fiasco, then <laughs> maybe you'd consider something else. Maybe Possibly. they were actually good, qualified people before fudge. <laughs> Who knows? Could be. Although it also makes me think about Fantastic Beasts and how he also tries to go around the ministry there. And maybe that's a big part of it. Maybe, maybe it's twofold. Maybe, or threefold. Maybe it's, I will do things outside of what is legal for Mm -hmm. me to do, and I don't want to abuse a position of power by doing that. The second point was that maybe he also doesn't trust himself with the Mm. position of minister because that's what he felt about the Deathly Hallows, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that he was too seduced by power. Yeah, that's interesting. What was your third fold? Oh, and the other one would be like, Harry Potter's going to come here and I need to... Be besties with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, besties meaning we have a conversation once a school year. But he really looks up to me. I have a twinkle in my eye. I have a twinkle in my eye. And he doesn't know that I plan on him sacrificing himself. I mean, he didn't at the beginning because he didn't know that he needed to. No, but he had a good guess. He did have that. Yes. I mean, Dumbledore's all about strategy, right? Yeah. But I was thinking Voldemort gains his positions of power Mm. by, one, being incredibly skilled, but two, he maintains it through fear tactics. Mm. And then when he wants an even bigger position of power, then by a coup and then maintain it by fear tactics, Mm. right? 
And then you have someone like Umbridge, who I think she gained her position probably in fairly legitimate ways, but was able to keep it because it's a corrupt system, and then also through suppression of students. Undesirables. (laughs) Undesirables. (laughs) Particularly one. Yeah. (laughs) I also think Dumbledore gained his visions through, I mean, obviously skill, but I think also legacy Mm. because he defeated Grindelwald. Yeah. It's so much easier to gain that position of power. But I also think Harry, some of his reputation, his fame is a part of people even listening to him and wanting to learn from him. Yeah. If people weren't curious about what happened and people are only curious about what happens and like want to hear it from Harry because from book one, he's saving the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone and defeating Voldemort, you know? And so he just keeps building on this reputation as every year goes by. And then I think also Neville, he gains his position of power leading the underground resistance basically just because he steps up when nobody else will. Yeah. And he maintains it because he's the best. He is the best. (laughs) (laughs) I love Neville. I appreciate Neville very much. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, I mean, he did have some resources, right? He's like, oh, I know of this place that we can go. Mm. But other people knew of that place, too, right? And he's the only one that stepped up and made it happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Neville's so great. Oh, Neville. (laughs) We just need to have a Neville episode I know, right? (laughs) Uh, When will he be our character? (laughs) So what's your, uh, when we move into our missed opportunities? Sure. My missed opportunity has to deal with the board of governors at Hogwarts. Oh, you think there's problems there? (laughs) I wish there was more there. Like, (laughs) you know, we... It's a huge plot point in book two, right? That Lucius Malfoy sitting on this board is able to threaten others to get Dumbledore removed, right? To show Mm -hmm. that there is some sort of oversight over Dumbledore. And it never comes up again. Certainly not in a major plot point kind of way. And so, especially when we see the Ministry coming in in book five, having some other kind of interplay with these board of governors would be really, really interesting, right? Yeah. Is there pressure on them from the ministry now to fire Dumbledore, right? What what other kinds of things are involved? How does one get on that? Is it literally just people with money? What are their relationships with the students and with the staff and with Dumbledore? These are all things I think that are, are really interesting and really important to the way that a institution is run, particularly an institution of education. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just, I would like to know more about what that looks like. Are they literally the ones who are financing Hogwarts? Because it's obviously a very expensive place to run. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like tuition's really a big thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I wonder all of those things. And I think that <laughs> it would be an interesting way of looking at it. And, and it's just one of those things where J.K. Rowling brings it up in an early book, but never kind of follows through on it in the later books. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. I was thinking about them a little bit too. And Lucius is uh misuse of his power (laughs) but also like i disagree with lucius and all of the fundamentals of his ideology Mm -hmm. right but with some of his actual suggestions i actually agree which i've realized through my last read through like he was saying arthur weasley should resign (laughs) i'm like yes 
Arthur Weasley should resign slash be fired. And then he's like, Dumbledore shouldn't be the headmaster when kids are getting attacked. There were a bunch of kids that were petrified and 50 years ago, a kid died because of the exact same thing that was happening. Of course, the school should be closed. The school should have been closed after the first kid was petrified. It Mm -hmm. seems like this has happened before. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean they're not going to reopen, you know, but I'm with him on that. Why did the Board of Governors need to be threatened to even be like, (laughs) no, we're closing this school or we're getting a new headmaster? Seriously. As a teacher and a student, I am frustrated that schools are closed down right now or going online. But that's what happens when you want to prioritize the safety of your students. And (laughs) it seems like in the book, the only reason they want to keep Hogwarts open is because Harry would be real sad if he had to go home to the Dursleys sooner. There's no other real reason. It's not like Harry's like really enjoying his classes. I mean, yeah. Can't you just move to another campus? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Was that your missed opportunity? No, it was not. So just going to put this out there that there's not enough women in leadership. Yes. Which is basically going to be my quick one for all of our leadership (laughs) conversations, unfortunately. But I want to talk about the student leadership in the form of prefects. Hmm. Because I don't feel like we know enough about that either. First of all, I don't know if you should give 15-year-olds the ability to patrol, you know? I'm like, shouldn't you be... Doing homework and sleeping, too? (laughs) Can't you have, like, ghosts do that or something? (laughs) They have nothing better to do with their time. You don't know that. Maybe ghosts have to sleep. Yeah, no, they don't. (laughs) But a big question I have is, like, how are these people actually chosen Mm. for the position? Because you have Percy, who's, like, an obvious choice. He's a law-abiding everything. And then you have Hermione, who's not always following the rules. Like, Mm. she will enforce the rules, but she doesn't always follow them when she thinks there's something else more important, which is how I would be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you have Ron, who's just like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Why? Yeah, I feel so bad for Seamus and Dean. (laughs) Well, okay, so that's the thing. Seamus, I'm like, maybe not the best choice because he's like, I don't believe Voldemort's back. So even if he did see something, maybe not not the greatest choice. But like Dean, what's wrong with Dean? (laughs) Racists. (laughs) Right? How did McGonagall put Ron forward before (laughs) Dean? (laughs) These are my questions. And then you have... Draco, mm-hmm. of any kid to not give more power to, <laughs> is Draco. But then also, maybe there was just no other butter Slytherin boy choice. You can't go with Crab or Goyle. No, you really Even can't. worse choice. We don't really know anything about Zabini or uh, not. Yeah, so. and I think one of them might even be a different year, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But then you have somebody like Neville, mm-hmm. who is good at following the rules because he's like, no, I'll fight you if you're going to go out at night. But then he like can't remember the passwords to get in, <laughs> so he would not be a good choice. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, was Ron just default? But then I, w- I was thinking maybe like grades have, like mm-hmm. are one of the biggest factors in there. I imagine Because so. you would think if it's not going to be Harry, Harry would probably be the top one there because Neville's grades would be abysmal in most of his subjects. Seamus, you know, he blows everything up. So his would I think be that's bad only too. in the movies, but yeah. So maybe only Ron has the second best grades because Hermione is in his life. 
Yeah, possibly. I wonder if it has to do with like how many newts you got or something, but yeah, I it's mean, weird. I mean, they haven't taken newts yet. Didn't they take newts in fourth? I mean, I'm newts sorry. are <laughs> seventh year. Owls. No, owls are fifth. Which are also fifth year. Yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. I really don't. You shouldn't be a prefect. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the other thing is that prefects and head boys and girls is clearly something that comes from kind of the British boarding school experience. Yeah. That as Americans, we don't really have knowledge of in the same way. Yeah. I wonder how our reactions would be different if we were British ourselves and had yeah. that, that kind of experience. But yeah, maybe. It but is a I would also be like, you know what? Ron and Hermione are friends with the most famous boy. <laughs> Maybe we'll let Parvati, because she probably does well in her classes, you know? Yeah. She's not breaking all of the rules. Yeah. So it's been a missed opportunity just because, like, I want to understand more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's your takeaway then? I was talking to you, Go. My takeaway is kind of going back to what we were talking about with kind of Harry learning to distrust authority and particularly the ministry mm-hmm. and i feel like so many of us who grew up with harry potter kind of got this lesson of not trusting the system as we are coming up in a society that things are problematic but not so awful yet that people that that people who are not in our generation don't see things breaking down and so you look at the climate you look at the economy you look at all these kinds of things where we are so much worse off than our parents and their parents, but they don't necessarily see that. And so we have this kind of growing dissatisfaction with the government. And ultimately in Harry Potter, it takes a crisis to show to the entire community the problems with this government. Not that they make it much better, but at least it it brings some change. Um, And it just, that's on my mind right now because of the crisis that we're facing right now right? Mm -hmm. Where with the COVID-19 pandemic, we see all these institutions and these systems that have become more and more fragile starting to break and real anxiety starting to come up and fester in these really important ways. And it's just interesting because I guess I kind of see similar to Harry's kind of perspective of having less and less faith and seeing more and more injustice with the system until a crisis occurs and that faith just completely breaks as being something that I kind of had a long-term version of where, you know, growing up, I mostly thought that capitalism was good and (laughs) all these other kinds of things. And I've questioned that more and more as I've grown older. And certainly I'm at the point now that it's like, no, things are broken. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I see that kind of reflected in in Harry's perspective as well. Mm -hmm. What is your takeaway? I think for me, it's that the different examples of leadership in Harry Potter make the series so much more relatable and believable as a world. Mm. I remember when I was a kid and I was like reading about the ministry part. I wasn't, like, quite as enthralled mm. as I was with, ooh, the different tasks in the Triwizard or whatnot. But now it's one of the most interesting parts to me. Yeah. Yeah, having that disillusionment and seeing so much of the corruption. And even when there are leaders who, like Harry, do some things really well and other things not so well, I think you can just you know, kind of fall into the world while you're reading it and and it seemed like 
a place that you can see reflected in your your life in in your understanding of how you I mean hopefully critically look at things yeah it just it makes the series so much better it's not just this fantastical world it's for me I find more and more connecting points to the books with some series that I've liked in the past like I find less connecting Mm. points but with Harry Potter I find more totally good books yeah I would recommend them (laughs) yes well can you bring up what we'll be talking about next week so we're going to be going back to Lord of the Rings and this next week we are going to be looking at the theme of doubt okay doubt and Lord of the Rings sounds good yeah well thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to our website at bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines. You can also join our amazing patrons over at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines, where you can get access to all sorts of extra content and have a say in upcoming episodes and all sorts of other fun things. We want to thank Kimberly Toho Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or search them for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.